0: Are we ready? I guess not. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. One, two,
3: three, four. It's Mackie and Judd with Romy With Rami. Yes, it is. Mackie and Judd with Rami on the all-new Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. I'm Rami along with Judd Zolgad, Phil Mackie, back from Vegas and uh-huh. seeing Aerosmith. Uh-huh. He made it.
0: He survived it. Dude, can I say two things? One, uh, happy to be alive, by the way, three days in Las Vegas. And two, Steven Tyler, mm-hmm. 71 years old. Still got the heater? Throwing 98 miles an hour still.
3: Really? How does he do it? I, I don't think it's like substances anymore. because. PAs? I don't know. No, I think it's actually... I think it's the opposite. I think Steven Tyler has now turned to a very holistic and healthy lifestyle and doesn't really do bad things to his body so anymore. So I got no shot. And exercises and does things like that. So well, I'm done, basically. Well, He used to do way worse things right. than you do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, no, for no, sure. Yeah. Steven, oh, yeah. Let's just say in
0: 1974, Steven Tyler wasn't just drinking 12 cups of coffee <laughs> <laughs> It was
2: Far more
3: than that. <laughs> yeah, he was doing far worse things than you, Judd. You were four th- surlies <laughs> a day. <laughs> He's probably just catching up to you in terms of health because of all the terrible <laughs> things he did to his body while you were living a somewhat normal life. We have a lot to. Get to on the show this afternoon, Roy Smalley, former Twin. Join uh, he joins us at four twenty. We'll see how he thinks this uh, Twins team compares to other great Twins teams of the past. And of course, we will mock. It is NFL draft week, so we're going to mock right around four forty. Tell you what, I want mock! to
1: mock. I had, I had that, to press right. button over here. It's we're, quite all right. We're in a new
0: studio for a couple days. We'll wrap with Royce coming up at five forty. Patrick uh, Royce can, will join us. Can I tell you one more? It's a twins-related Vegas thing before we dive into. Yeah, sure. It's kind of a good segue, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was—I'm not much of a sports better, uh, but I'm also—I'm not just going to dump hundreds of dollars into slot machines. So I wanted to put a few bucks on some twins games. We stayed at Park MGM and bounced around. Went to Caesar Sportsbook and just so—I well, wanted to put you know fifty bucks here, just just something to, to sweat the twins when they're playing the sure. Orioles. Uh, is it possible to have bet the Twins? In three different games this weekend, and have made no money because that's what happened to me. How? I, I, I'm an idiot. I parlayed Twins wins with either the over or the under no. run total in each one, and was wrong on all of the over unders. So on the on the Barrios, when Barrios pitched, I went a Twins win, and well, he's going to shut the Orioles down, and so it was nine and a half was the over under, and the, it's probably going to be like a four one Twins win, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe a four two Twins win. Yeah. And they play home run derby. Correct, yeah. yes. And then the next day it was like, all right, it, Dylan Bundy and Kyle Gibson in a small ballpark. <laughs> That's a Twins win, and it's like an 11-6 to 6 game or something. Gibson, Gibson, who's been struggling since spring training with E. coli and ineffectiveness, uh, he's going to have a rough time, and of course, it was a four to two pitchers fight. duel. So I bet the Twins in all the games, and they won all the games. But don't gamble parlays and an
2: over under run totals. Why couldn't you just bet the Twins? Just bet the Twins.
0: I know. Man. I, I mean, couldn't you, you just I
3: make it, Yeah.
2: Why couldn't you just say? He you needed you know that what? fix. He needed to make I, it just I, I, that I, I much I, I more twinned. interesting. He needed that little shot of adrenaline. You like the Twins? You could have just bet the Twins to win. You would have done great. You would have walked away with some money. You would
0: have been I happy. Uh, they were. I want to say. Sometime during the off season, because one of my friends got the Twins at seventy five to one to win the World Series, and there were sports books that had the Twins at eighteen to one to win the World Series. Really, I believe I even saw a sixteen to one to win the World Series. It's quite the trend. Hmm, I wonder what that means. And I, you know, it's possible after last night, the odds are. We're gonna win Twins. We're gonna score. Maybe a little bit better. Maybe. Uh, so you, you found an article, Rami, in yeah. The Athletic from uh, regular Score North Live guest Eno Saris that's, that's
3: worth diving into, Twins related. <laughs> Speaking of trends, the, the title of the article is The Search for Today's Team, the MLB organization most on trend in 2019. And what he means by that is the teams that are most in line with where baseball is going and some of the trends that we're seeing in terms of the statistical change in, in baseball and the way it's been played and the results that have been produced over the last few years. So he he first reviews the trends when it comes to hitting. And I'll just run through these for you real quick. He says, this year will break the record for league-wide strikeouts set last year, which broke the record set the year before, which broke the record set the year before, and so on. This year should feature a 20-year high in walk rate. This year will break another record for home runs in a season. Baseball is on pace to feature another bottom 10 year for steals, and the past five years are also are all also in that bottom 10. Hitters are hitting the ball harder again this year. Hitters are, in particular, hitting the ball in the air more often when they hit it hard. So those are the trends and the standards by which he's measuring who is the team of today or who are the teams of today. And he brings up the Minnesota twins, not too deep into the article saying the twins have stolen four bases so far this year, 23 short of the league leader in Kansas city. But remember, that in this, in this particular analysis, this study, stolen bases are actually a negative because we're trying to see who's most on trend and in line with where baseball is going sure. and steals keep going down. There's only one guy on the Twins that they probably green light and it's
0: Byron Buxton, Buxton right? right,
3: yeah. He goes on to say they also hit their hard ball, their balls hard and in the air. If only they had slightly better plate discipline, they might be our modern team. They're pretty close anyway. He says, here's an interesting thing that happened while collating these rankings. It made sense to invert the stolen base rankings, like I just explained, to give credit to teams for not stealing bases. So the twins he says are ranked first by stealing the least. He says, when it comes to strikeouts, a one means the highest strikeout rate in baseball. That's normally a bad thing, but in trying to find a team that was most on trend, it made sense to keep the highest strikeout rates at the top. He says, except for the Brewers, they've managed to put together a good offense that relies on hard contact over everything else. Just look at their mediocre rankings when it comes to strikeout and walk rates and even the angle of their hard hit contact. But they hit a lot of homers because they hit the ball hard and they belong here, too. Interesting. Um, so it doesn't. it's not necessarily that
0: you're... It's not the teams that are playing the most winning baseball or have the most winningest strategy. It's the teams that are most in line with today's thinking with today's and strategy, trends. right? Right, yeah. And that has not been the case in a long time. In fact, I don't know, Judd. You'd have to go back years to find the Twins as the most in line with baseball trends. But but the Twins, of all, the twins were pitching to contact, and they were playing scrappy... Uh, slap it around baseball, even during the steroid era of the early 2000s, and that was working well, well they, for them. That's how they got by. So it doesn't I mean, mean so that you 2001-ish? have to be... 2001-ish? Yeah, 2000... And, well, the, the Piranhas were 2006. Well,
2: they, well, they switched. They, they went from a doormat to a competitive team in 2001, correct? Kelly's yes, Last year. Correct. And then Guardy came in in 2002, and they got pretty good and probably had what was considered at that time a fairly progressive way of thinking. And then it deteriorated slowly because where where were we so so moneyball became the big term in the what, book the book 2003
0: yeah the book was written between
2: 2000, 2000 and 2002 or something like that. okay so where where did did we evolve to then because i feel like now uh, some of those concepts are definitely gone correct
0: yes i, I would i would say um, well, on-base percentage is always going to be a thing. I mean, on-base percentage became a thing because of the Moneyball book. It's like the Oakland days were the first team that went all in on the most obvious thing, which is let's avoid outs. I mean, like literally right. the most yeah. effective thing you can do as a hitter is avoid an out. Because if you avoid an out, it's like if you can avoid fourth down in the NFL. Like if you can just move the chains, that's what getting on-base is. But I, I, I would I would almost frame it up this way if you're going to be the most in line team with where baseball is headed you have to be the best at those things too right so i don't think it's about avoiding stealing bases i think it's about avoiding getting caught stealing right so so team i don't know what the what the cutoff is but teams that are forward thinking they're not just going to give the green light to six players in their lineup they're going to give the green light to guys who convert 85% or whatever that number is um so But the fact that the Twins are being listed among some of the other positive things, right, I would think power is something that the Twins have very rarely ranked near the top of baseball. I mean, how many times have you looked at a Twins lineup and said, yep, I would stack that power up against all but maybe two lineups in the the league? And
3: power Almost plays across all areas of baseball. I think they said on Fox Sports North, they were talking about it last week, this Twins team has been out-homered by their opponents every season going back to, I think they said 2004. Wow. For 15 years, they've, make, been, they've been they've out-homered. That actually makes sense, yes. Yeah, that's incredible. There there have not been a ton of Twins teams
2: in my lifetime, or, or at least since I started to follow the Twins closely, that I would say was stacked, right? Yeah. Herbeck, what? Brunansky, th- those teams. But we e- even look back at those clubs when we were talking to Stark a couple years back, Phil, and I believe that we couldn't find, what, what was the stat we didn't find? That the top home runs, was, the top home run total from those guys individually was like 38 or yeah. something? Yeah. Well, the Twins in the
0: middle of the steroid era back in the late <laughs> 90s, early 2000s, had, couldn't get, they couldn't get a guy with 20 home runs. And every, it seemed like every team had a guy with forty. Were they home just runs. scared off by guys who hit home runs? Did they? What were they no, trying they to accomplish exactly? But, or yeah, they, they either weren't cheating they or cheat. they weren't taking the right pills. I'm not. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I really
2: don't think they cheated.
0: Yeah, for oh, the most good, part. Well, do good, you? good for them. Good for them. But
2: I mean, you saw like the Maguires and all those guys, and you're like, this guy looks like Superman, and then it's like, and batting for the Twins, yeah, I'm a
0: Piranha. Yeah. Are we seeing evidence though? And I think the answer is hundred percent yes. That Thad Levine and Derek Falvey's philosophy that they brought now almost three years ago is paying off here because it's it was so easy for two off seasons and even this last off season for a lot of people even after Nelson Cruz and Jonathan Scope and the signings they made C J Crone has been great so far and people still said not enough gotta spend even more money and go get uh, and I would I would say they could still add a reliever if Craig Kimbrel is still out there let's beat that dead horse for another two hours and. And I, and I think it's, it's easy to focus on free agency and payroll and, it, well, if you, could, if you can add this name to the roster, then that's how you put your fingerprint on an organization as a general manager. And the way baseball has evolved, yes, adding talent from outside the organization is important, but I think all these other things, implementing systems behind the scenes and making sure that you are ahead of the curve when it comes to development uh, in the way
2: that players are developed in 2019 and not 2003, do you, right? Do you know what I think the biggest telltale is right now? It's not a player; it's Baldelli. It's Baldelli, and the fact that like him or not, he clearly fits what they wanted. Like you, you knew when Paul was let go that their desire all along had been to bring in their guy, and I think what you're seeing now is the why. And it's it very much, to me, flies in the face of traditional baseball now. And this is changing, you guys. But Baldelli and watching him operate, it's clear he's part of something. Because didn't it used to be, all right, Terry, Terry goes grocery shopping and gives, and gives Gardy the groceries, but Gardy's the chef, right? So there was never this, there was always this very over-the-top, I don't go in the clubhouse, I don't tell Ron what to do, I give Ron... So I think the biggest sign to me of of the shift of the Twins and the change in baseball. It's not the players, it's Baldelli.
0: Yeah, and, and I think there's been throughout the quote unquote Moneyball era, and a lot was made of it in Moneyball, the movie too. That if you are not a manager's manager, right? If you're not if you're not the Guardy guy that gets to pull his own strings, then you're not a real manager. And I would I I, I call BS on that. I think if if you're if you're not in alignment with the the army of smart people in a lot of these front offices, if you're gonna just be gatekeeper to what information you're gonna allow into your clubhouse, then you're a bad manager. Right. So you can you can call it I can't remember who it was. Well, Jason Stark wrote the article. It was an it was an anonymous quote about managers saying, you know, there's there's managers and then there's middle managers or whatever the phrase was and that guy is a manager but it was a praise it's like well does that
3: mean that that guy doesn't want information from a small front office people the information is just the start I mean the the results on the field and the numbers that they spit out are pretty much the same for every team What you do with that and how you choose to use that and strategize based on the numbers and the information that you have on your fingertips can vary across the board. That's why the Twins are shifting so much more than they did in the past with the same information that they had and more than most teams around Major League Baseball who have the same information that the Twins have at their fingertips when it comes to where guys are hitting the ball and how to get them out. So there are different ways to interpret The information once it's brought to you and also it's not like Rocco Baldelli just shows up to the ballpark and somebody else is crunching all the numbers and coming up with all the strategy based on all the numbers and handing him a sheet that says in this situation do this in this situation do that Rocco Baldelli before he ever even gets to the dugout. He's in those meetings where he's getting that info, they're deciphering the info and deciding how to use it and put it in action when he gets in the dugout and the players get on the field. So a lot of the managing is happening before the game even starts. I would argue that managers today, when you talk about a day of work, are probably doing more in terms of consuming information Digesting it and putting it into action by making decisions than managers in the past ever did. Yeah, I feel like another way to crystallize this I feel like for the first time in
0: years, when I watch the Twins, they're not at some competitive disadvantage when they're on the field because they're not. For a long time, it just felt like, man, other teams are shifting more, other teams are pitch sequencing better, other hitters are are using launch angle to their advantage to hit more home runs, and the Twins are just behind in all those areas. And and so, therefore, there, it's an uphill climb every single game to try and score more runs. And for the first time in years, I feel like the Twins are that team, and a lot of the other teams, maybe not Houston, but a lot of the other teams they're going against are behind the Twins.
2: I think it feels like now, for the first time, they actually have a cohesive plan. They've always had a plan, but I don't think it was cohesive and where baseball has really changed now is it is, uh it's not, I'm the GM, so I do this. I'm the um chief baseball officer, so I do this. It is now basically all connected, right? Mm-hmm. And so for the first time, you're seeing a, a cohesive plan, and for a long time, and it worked too, for a long time the Twins operated with the fundamental philosophy is this is how baseball's done, except it changed. <laughs> it changed, and and they didn't adjust for a long, long time. And the adjustment, it looks weird. But guess what? It might work.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of twins and Timberwolves parallels in that for a long time the twins were last in velocity and you know, bottom half and home runs and all these different trends that were baseballs going this way and the twins were dragging their heels. And the Timberwolves, three pointers, three pointers, three pointers in pace. Right. And then you'd look at a Sam Mitchell coached Wolves team <laughs> or a Flip Saunders or even a Tom Thibodeau coached wolves team. And they're bottom five and three-pointers. When
3: are you going to be ahead of the curve on some of these things? Right. And here we are. And to tie notes. a bow on this, for those who don't believe in analytics and don't think that that's how you win baseball games, the teams that, in, uh, in you know, am I saying it right? You know Saris? You know Saris, you know, Saris. You know yeah. Saris? Yeah. I always have trouble with his name. The teams that he, at the end, listed as the most online, in in, in line with the trends of today's baseball, were the Yankees, Dodgers, Astros, and Rays. And he also brings up the A's, and the Blue Jays are kind of the outlier in this thing because they do a lot of these things well that we're talking about, and they're a terrible baseball team. But again, that's an outlier. Every other team who's doing these things well that we're talking about are very good baseball teams who are probably going to be playing postseason baseball or be damn close to it when all is said and done in September and October. Does he have the bottom of the list or just the top no, of the list? No, just the top of the list. Okay. Yeah.
2: It is... Funny, though, that the Tampa Bay Rays have been basically the model. right? Oakland was in, what, circa 2001, 2002? Kind of again. Kind of, but Tampa Bay, this nondescript team that plays in this absolute hellhole, has become the team that teams now say, who can we poach? Because you've got a secret sauce that we got again.
3: I often make food analogies. And some of the best recipes in the history of food have come just out of desperation and what people have to work with. And I think that's the same thing with the rays. Does that explain the Cheetos last night and oh the chicken God. tenders, dude? That was so good. Why do you continue to torture us <laughs> with what looks like scrumptious <laughs> food and we never get any? I was in the grocery store last night and you saw so it. So was you, I. If you, if you follow what? me at Rami is tweeting, I didn't buy what you bought. And I was in the snack aisle. I didn't buy it, Judd. I made it. I put the work in. All right. I was in the snack aisle and I saw a yeah. brand of Cheeto that, that I, was I close to you could have driven. Over. I had never seen before. I don't know if you guys have ever seen these. They are they are flaming hot. Chipotle Ranch Cheetos. Wow! Oh, I saw your picture. Oh, oh! oh. So, I was, so I saw that. I grabbed it. I put it in the cart, and then you know I was going through the the meat department. I needed some meat to make something for dinner, and uh, I saw chicken tenders. And it was like, and it was like it was like I birthed a, a beautiful, <laughs> brilliant child in my brain. Okay. And I was like, oh my god, <laughs> Cheetos crusted chicken tenders. <laughs> so then I oh, went home yeah. and, and made it happen.
0: Okay, can we just throw stuff at you and, and you do a Rami's recipes thing? And like, then ingre-
3: you- like ingredients? Like, like uh, a chopped you- type of situation? Yeah. I think I could, I could do something.
0: I mean, this would be pretty easy because you just did it with a different brand of chip, but right. how about Funyun tenders? I could do that. I could, definitely, I could definitely I mean, do that. I Jonathan, come in. Mean, you got me interested. Let's
3: <laughs> do this. Dude, I'm all in on all of this. But they were so good. And real easy to make, too. Like, Declan tweeted me last night. He was like, you must show me your ways. I was like, dude, real easy. You dunk the chicken in egg wash. You put it in flour, back in the egg wash, into the crust, crushed Cheetos, which are mixed with breadcrumbs, into the air fryer, if you have oh, an air fryer. Yeah. Otherwise, well, easy can, as pie. Done. Done. You've got a gift, okay? <laughs> Don't tell me it's easy. It it's was a, like it's a gift for food
0: porn. It's like half yeah. an
3: hour from start to finish.
0: Ready? Delicious. Have you guys ever seen the Family Guy episode where Chester <laughs> Cheetah uh, is Chester Cheetah, right? Yeah, is sitting in his living room uh-huh. and he's like super high and, and <laughs> he he crushes up a bunch of Cheetos <laughs> and snorts and them.
2: them. <laughs> never seen that one. <laughs> we'll show you during the break. Okay. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, Mackie and Judd with Rami on the all-new Score North. You know, you can show us your mock. That's right. You can show us your mock.
2: I, I want
1: a mock. mock!
0: Mock! By tweeting Score North a screenshot of your predictions for who Minnesota will draft in all seven rounds of this year's draft starting Thursday night. We're going to have live coverage on Score North all afternoon and all evening long. You can tweet at Score North using both the hashtag ScoreMock that's S-K-O-R, mock. And hashtag contest. The entrant with the most picks correct, Randy and Cottage Grove, will win Score North gear, a swag bag of some kind. And uh, for a free draft simulator that, uh, that can help you sort this all out, visit scorenorth.com. Keyword draft. Let's talk about Federated Mutual Insurance Company for a moment before we talk about last night's win by the Twins over the Astros. Federated. Reminds us all to drive safe. Staying rested and alert is the best way to ensure that fatigue doesn't become an issue behind the wheel. So, uh, some facts on drowsy driving from the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration that might surprise you: ninety thousand crashes involved drowsy drivers in 2015. At last survey, ninety thousand crashes because people were tired and shouldn't have been on the roads. We've got we've got Uber and Lyft and all these different ride services. And uh, it just doesn't make sense to drive drowsy late at night uh, when fatigue is such a factor. In these crashes, to make sure you're alert on the road, get adequate sleep every day, avoid drinking any alcohol before you start rolling around, and keep an eye out for signs of drowsiness such as irregular driving patterns in yourself and other people. Federated Insurance, it's our business to protect yours. Mackie and Judd with Rami. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. When did the dunk contest jump the shark? If you actually pulled out a stuffed
3: shark and jumped it to dunk. <laughs> oh yeah, and then ended it. I love that. The dunk contest did jump the shark, but I thought actually, was it last year that I was thoroughly entertained by by the dunk contest you guys remember who won it last year <laughs> what else are you gonna watch this weekend the aaf i'd rather drink Mackie and judd with rami
0: on score north and score
3: now our conversation with roy smalley is brought to you by doug's power equipment in blaine
0: all right we are Mackie and judd with rami on score north and uh, Roy Smalley is uh, is here to talk some baseball and talk some red hot Minnesota Twins. It's always nice when you validate wins over bad teams by going in and smoking uh, offensively a really good Houston team uh, to start a week. Roy Smalley, what were your thoughts?
1: Well, I was d- delighted for them. I, I mean, they're they're playing very well, and it um, couldn't be playing much better going into a a place like Houston. So I, I think the one thing we know for sure is this road trip's going to be tremendously successful uh if they don't win another one in houston but uh i think they're feeling pretty good about themselves and i think they they match up pretty well against uh against houston
3: and leading the charge for this team, not not just in Houston, but throughout that series in, in Baltimore and really most of the season has been Eddie Rosario, who obviously a lot of talk about the bat, but the guy is playing the field at a very high level as well. You can argue he saved that game on Sunday by keeping the runner at third base in the bottom of the ninth inning. Just talk about how, how good Eddie Rosario has been to this point in the season.
1: Well, you can't argue that he saved the game because he did save the game. It was a tremendous play and, and, um, he takes great pride in his, uh, in how he plays the outfield. He's made two plays, uh, now that one, um, in, uh, Baltimore and, uh, actually the one last night ricocheting around in that, in that, that funny spot in Houston. But there, there have been, uh, one or two other ones uh, as well, uh, where he gets to the ball so quickly better than he gets he goes after the ball more aggressively i think than anybody that i've seen in, in baseball he gets there quickly so his his attributes are that he shortens the distance and shortens the the running the runner's running time he gets closer to his, either his um his relay man or in the case of trying to throw somebody out of the base closer to uh you know a shorter throw uh, and then he has a has a fairly strong and very accurate arm. So, I mean, it, it's a great combination of things, and it all starts with how he loves going after the ball. He gets there so quickly and so aggressively, as I said, better than anybody else. And we know what he thinks about his ability to hit. He walks into play, into the box right now and he, he just expects something really big is going to happen. He doesn't expect it. He knows something really big is going to happen. Sometimes that gets in his way a little bit. He's so excited about how good he is and how he's seeing the ball and everything. He, he gets a little, uh, I'm going to hit this ball 900 feet to, to my pole field when he can hit it out of the ballpark anywhere. And when he does that, the, the ladder, He's uh, almost unstoppable, and that, that's where he's been. At where, at where he's been lately, it's been great to watch.
2: So, explain him to to me. Is he an instinctual player who is smart? Is he just because there's some plays that he makes both uh, on the basis and in the field where you're where you say to yourself, "Wow, that's a great play." And then there's sometimes when he does things and you're like, "Wow, I can't believe he he." did that. So, when you watch him play, what do you see as far as his instincts go and as far as sometimes doing things that probably don't make sense but lots of times they do pay off?
1: His instincts are are really good and and they're going to get better and better with the more things he he tries and either succeeds or or fails. Uh, what I love about him as a player, I mean, starts at the plate, uh, you know, with his aggressiveness at the plate, and everybody said, has always said if he just lay off swing at the bad balls that he swings at, but it's almost kind of like the way we've talked about, uh, trying to tone down Byron Buxton running into walls and things. I mean, you, you, you can't do that with him. You can't tell Eddie Rosario to tone down his, his plate aggressiveness. He has to learn that by himself. Learn. As good as he is anywhere, as a bad ball hitter, he's tremendously good in the strike zone. And that just kind of comes with more and more um, experience. And the same way on the bases or uh, in the outfield. Sometimes he gets a little over-exuberant at how much fun he has doing something really great. And um, that's not something you can say other than, you know, don't throw the ball over the head of the cutoff, man, or... You know, don't allow the batter runner to go to second. We're trying to get somebody a runner at third when you don't have any chance. Keep the guy off a second. You know, those kinds of things. You can tell him that stuff, but it's it, it's going to be a, a experiential process for him, and he's just going to get better and better at. Making the the great plays that we like to that we like to see and cutting down on the uh, on the oops and that's just it's not going to be because anybody tells him it's it's going to be because he loves being a good player and he'll just learn.
0: Roy Smalley, I feel like being a bad ball hitter is a is a lost art because of the way that baseball players are just groomed to be robots now. I it's, it's like the the Tom Emansky era of baseball players where everybody has the same stance and we're losing custom batting stances. And I think we're just we're losing guys who take a pitch that's, you know, two inches off the dirt and decide to club it. Who, what, what, what are your thoughts on the art of bad ball hitting? And who are some of your favorite bad ball hitters that uh, that you either played with or you remember?
1: Well, you know, I think everything you're alluding to there started with uh, when guys quit having nicknames. <laughs> you're not wrong about that. Yeah. yeah. Everybody everybody now and my favorite one my favorite one was uh, Gardy. Yeah, Wait, well, there it is, Gardy. was a garden hire. He didn't have a nickname. His name's Gardy. And he called Justin Morneau Morney I mean, it's a, it's about as um as vanilla as it gets and swings have, you know, you know, swing mechanics have gotten that way and and you're right about, you know, about all of that. Stuff. Um, Yogi Berra was maybe the greatest bad ball hitter of uh, of all time. Um, I got to believe that Eddie Rosario is uh, is right up there. Uh, I, I can't think of anybody um, other than potentially Puck. I mean, Puck was pretty good at it too. Although you know, it, you had to really make it a bad. You had to throw it about uh, helmet level for Puck. Not you know, not to swing at it. Sometimes he'd swing at that too. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they they. they um, um, I always I, I always used to wonder why anybody I'd sit on the bench and think to myself why does anybody ever throw Kirby Puck at a strike? I would I would try to walk him for would have tried to walk him four times and see if I could do it. Um, and if I did, I wouldn't care. I don't think I'd have cared. He just if he got a strike, uh, he was gonna he was gonna kill it. Rosario's kind of that way now too, and and he, but. Uh, he's a, probably a better bad ball hitter than, uh, the, even than, than Puck was. So it's kind of fun to watch. But what's really, what's cool about Rosario is in an era where the swings are kind of grooved, people talk about Eddie Rosario's hands, how great his hands are. And I don't think anybody's explained that, um, you know, what that means very well. And, and in my, it, it, in my view, it's, it, 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 the way I would describe it is that, he swings the big end of the bat to the ball. He swings the big end of the bat like he's trying to hit the ball. And to your point, Phil, a lot of guys, most guys swings now, the ball's got to be kind of got to be where they're swinging. You know, they you don't see adjustments mid-flight very often where a guy can have, can put the big end of the bat on a ball when it's, it's kind of outside the zone that he's swinging it. Eddie Rosario, if you watch him, he actually swings to hit the ball no matter where it is, and you have to be able to do that. You have to have great hands like that uh, in order to be a bad ball hitter. And it, uh, because you start getting ready to hit a strike, and then if it's you know somewhere else, you have to adjust so quickly and change the plane of your swing a bit and get the big end of the bat to the ball quickly, you know, in a hurry, in an instant. And uh, Rosario's remarkable in that way. Absolutely remarkable.
2: So, Roy, a team that can hit, young uh, potential star players, pitching iffy to a certain degree. What type of similarities do you see right now between uh, the 2019 Twins and the 1977 Twins?
1: You know, uh, I think that... um, I think they've got a potential to be more like the 87 Twins frankly um it, but there there are some similarities to the to the 77 uh club as well it really just uh gets down to um what level at what level they're going to pitch right so right. in 77 we I I I think that these guys uh have a tendency to be better on the mound uh front to back uh, than we were in 77. Um, we had some guys that could really hit, you know, I mean, you know, Carew and Heisel and Bostock and, you know, I mean, we had some real, very accomplished hitters. Um, and so we could, we could throw nine runs up there most every, most every day, as you, as you recall. But, but we really didn't pitch very well and, and, um, I think these guys have a chance to pitch, uh, to pitch a bit better.
0: So just to be crystal clear, you're saying the Twins are going to win the World Series. <laughs> that's yeah, what I right. heard. Well, I yeah. knew that
1: I knew that was coming. Uh, that's <laughs> the way you would take that. You know. uh, <laughs> Headlines, Smalley. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you know, it's all it's all potential still for these guys. Um and we've talked about that before. There's a lot of things that have a lot of guys that have to step forward and be, you know, uh, who we think they might be rather uh you know, uh, w- rather than not take that Step or two uh, forward, but there certainly are a lot of indications that a lot of the key players are going to and pitchers are are going to do that, and that's you know that's pretty that's pretty exciting, pretty encouraging.
3: So, what potential pitfalls do you see then for this team? In other words, what what facets of this team, or maybe individual guys, are you watching them do what they're doing, and you're going that that might be real, but it also might not be real.
1: Yeah, I think the the thing that we have to think about is when a team wins, uh, a division, when a team is a postseason team and, and even go, to say it goes deep in the postseason, generally speaking, uh, on the offensive side, you have at least five guys that are having, if not career years, at least years that are in the upper range of what they're going to do year in, year out, right? And and so I I look at the potential for Rosario and Polanco and Cruz to be three of those five guys the Twins would need. And the question for me is, uh, who are the other two guys going to be? Uh, Is it going to be Buxton's breakout year? If it is, that those four by themselves might be enough. But I think they're going to need some support from either uh, Crone and or Scope uh, and uh, Kepler I mean, is Kepler one of those guys? Um, how about Sano when he comes back? I mean, they have uh, the potential to have six guys. I mean, just crushing the ball at, at you know most of the time during the course of the season. They're going to need, I think, at least five. So one of the questions is, you know, how good is is five through nine uh, going to be? Who's going to be emerge from there? And then the other question I think is going to be the bullpen. I, I don't. I think the starters will give them a chance. But we have, you know, if we get some short starts and things, it's gonna, it's gonna tax that, tax that idea of, you know, closer of, you know, late seventh, eighth, and then ninth inning by committee. Um, so I think that's maybe the, the, the biggest question mark for me, is how, how's that, that going to be? Yeah.
0: Roy, we love the analysis, and we will keep tabs on your 1987 World Series prediction that you just wrote <laughs> I didn't that you expect just wrote that, Roy. Hand.
1: Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, well, I did, you, you seemed a little down to me, Phil. I just I wanted to perk you up a little bit. Next time we're going to
3: ask you how to plan the parade route. That's going to be the next interview with Roy Is Roy's it moment?
1: Hennepin or First Ave? <laughs> <laughs> it goes
2: down 94. Just yeah, wait. Yeah. You'll see it. I've seen it.
0: <laughs> All right. See you, Roy. All right, guys. All right, Roy Smalley. I love how Judd gave Roy Smalley just an easy softball comparison to a nice little 84-win Twins team in the late 70s. You know, just, yeah, Twins are off to a good start. And Roy's like, no.
2: No, dude. Roy's like, you're thinking too small. Yeah. Well, that team scored a bunch of runs. Its pitching was not good. But I see similarities in in the offensive production. And then he just corrected me (laughs) and said no. No, they're going to win the World Series. 87. Or ninety one. I'm not sure which one. Well, but it's one of them. Is it
0: is it fair to say already that this Twins team doesn't have good pitching?
2: Because that's, that's what I, I don't know.
0: Because there's a, there's a lot of teams that would love to have a Jose Barrios. I think there's a lot of teams that would take Kyle Gibson, who's you know, we'll see what he turns into. But he was fine over the
2: weekend. I think it's fair to say the bullpen still uh, frightens me. Not because top to bo- bottom it's bad. But because you do get into situations where it gets to be probably more interesting than it should.
3: Did you guys read Ken Rosenthal's article about bullpens? I think it was last week in The Athletic. He basically said that bullpens across Major League Baseball right now are terrible. The Twins are not unique. They're part of a trend. He wasn't writing about the Twins, but that's what I took from it. And he said that it's sort of the norm that bullpens aren't that great this early on in the season. And then as the year goes along, and you see churn of guys who are sort of run out of the league because they've just run run out of good pitches in their arms, younger guys come up, guys are traded or moving in free agency, that bullpens tend to get better as the season goes along. Yeah. Not, not to say that there's nothing wrong with the Twins' bullpen, but it's part of a larger trend, and there is some evidence out there to say that the Twins and bullpens across baseball are going to get better as the season goes on. And
0: look, there's been a lot of years recently where the Twins had maybe one reliable relief pitcher. And I think, I know it's early, but out of the gate, Taylor Rogers is reliable. Trevor Hildenberger is reliable. I don't know. I mean, Blake Parker, has uh, he's given up one run in seven and a third. I don't know if he, he walks the plank. He's a tightrope guy, yeah, yeah, definitely. He loves to put a couple guys Trevor on May, Trevor
2: May should be, but I don't feel like he is at this point. Yeah, he's always been, I mean, that
0: guy's been in the organization for about seven or eight years now, and it's all like, this is the year of Trevor Main and he's
2: overthrowing consistently right now.
0: He needs maybe to stop playing so many video games, so what i have seen people is? comment to him on Twitter. He loves the video games. He, he put something out, I think it was when they were going to Baltimore, and he said, hey, if anyone wants to, I'm going to Baltimore, hopefully the Wi-Fi is good, if anyone wants to, you know, jump on Fortnite or whatever, and like the first five replies were, dude, you have a 90 RA, stop mm, playing video games. You should be practicing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, they might have a point.
2: Okay, guys,
0: we throw an extra bullpen session in the hotel hallway. Okay, I really buddy? I hate that guy. Why don't you focus? Like, why don't you focus on
3: your craft? What, you hate
0: Trevor, maybe because he no, plays video games. No, the guy who thinks oh. that
3: athletes shouldn't do anything but eat, sleep, drink, and breathe the sport that they play and and do for a living. I'm just trying to win ball games. Okay, like every. Every market that I've that I've been in as a fan, where I've worked, whatever, a guy is struggling, and like his his State Farm commercial will come out and like stop making so many commercials and practice, idiot. Like, what are you wasting you your time with commercials for? <laughs> well, hey, he could have been doing squats.
2: <laughs> could have been working on his lower body. So, May, so May now does uh, games. What did he do previously? Was he a DJ before the whole? Uh Video craze. He was, was doing he a something. DJ? He was doing something I thought back well, like four a, or five years back.
0: Eric Komatsu was a DJ for sure. The twins had Komatsu a couple beats, yeah. A couple little uh, turntable guys in their
2: clubhouse. I house. thought Trevor May did something before video games, and I can't remember what it was now. Maybe he should have been throwing bullpens. That's what he should have been doing. Or yeah. in the that's weight football room. fan. In the weight room That's guy. football. That's, guy. that's football fan. <laughs> football fan is always the guy who's like. You should be working on your blocking instead of doing stuff with your wife. Why does it
3: seem like I care about this more than you do, dude? Because you do, probably. <laughs> exactly.
2: Because <laughs> in the case that's of a lot of they football players, that's exactly right. In the case of a lot of football players, guess what?
0: Bro, I'm, bro I just used $20 for toilet paper this morning. <laughs> I get paid either way, is what they're probably thinking. But it is what it is. Uh, Mackie and Judd with Rami. Uh, actually, speaking of guy who annoys you rami just brought one up you hit on something earlier on in the show in I regards did. to the money ball era right, okay. like you know we're we're trying to be honest here in the first 3 months with you on board sure what are things that we should know about each other right okay. what are things and uh, i it just struck me like, whenever I see someone say this particular thing, I want to
3: run it by you guys and see if you're also annoyed did by I this. Did I say it? No, you you didn't say it. Because if it annoys you, I'm going to say it as much as I possibly no, can. I'm you, a child, and that's what I do. You did not say it. I think you might even agree with
0: me. Oh, okay, good. All right. All thank right. You and job with Rami. We also have a glorious mock to get to at some point, thank soon. You. All right. Thank you, Jonathan. And a quick reminder that you can find all kinds of awesome Vikings draft coverage this week. Matthew Collar, Judd Zulgad. Written stuff, we've got a YouTube channel that uh, we're almost to 3,000 subscribers on our Score North YouTube channel, and so we appreciate all of you uh, YouTubers who've who've jumped on board with us, but scorenorth.com is your hub for all things Minnesota Vikings, and keep in mind, we are the only five-day-a-week daily Viking show, Purple Daily at noon every single day on the all-new Score North. So we were talking about Judd asked about when when, when was the start of the Moneyball era and like early two thousands and I believe it was you also Judd that said it's funny how the Tampa Bay Rays have become sort of the model like the, yep. the Rays who play in this dingy crappy ballpark and they you know they spend less money on their roster than any team in baseball but their ideas rule right and teams steal their front office members the Twins plucked one of their pitching gurus and every time. I feel like every time I bring this up, if I tweet something or whatever, get an email or a response back, there's always, yeah, but what have they won, guy? And that is one of the five or ten things. If I'm making a list of like the, the things that drive me nuts in sports, it's when you bring up the early 2000s A's or the Tampa Bay Rays between 2008 and now, and somebody always says, yeah, but they've never won a World Series. What's so great about their model? And I say,
3: what was that cooking show you brought up, Rami? um chopped chopped is uh-huh. chopped where they give you ingre- they give you a basket of ingredients right. and then say go make something so and it's usually like the worst that's the thing stuff
0: yeah so like we're all we're all on chopped uh-huh. and you're the yankees right and they say all right we're going to give you a, an amazing prime cut of filet mignon okay i'm listening we're going to give you asparagus and Any sort of carb that you want to make, like any kind of potato that you want to make. And and that's your ingredients. All right. And then we go to Judd and say, all right, you're the Tampa Bay Rays. We're going to give you... A bucket of ice cubes and a nine iron make it edible. <laughs> Go ahead, and, I do a and great you guys job. are competing against each other, and I do a great job. Win like, ninety games, but what does Judd won? Judd doesn't Judd hasn't cooked anything. Yeah, like they gave him soy sauce and some peanut butter. Like, what are you supposed to do? And the Rays make a gourmet meal out of it on on an annual basis. But do the but teams? What have they won?
2: But do the teams? I feel like there's a difference here too, that successful teams identify what the smartest teams do and then just start stealing it which is fair game which is fine but the A's and the Rays and to a certain degree 20 years ago the twins probably yes had really good ideas and teams were like okay we we can we can uh, top that by spending more ultimately than you can spend but your ideas are the best and and I think now all of these guys from the Rays, Rocco here, Montoya in Toronto, uh, they all come and basically, what do teams say? What did you guys do there? And, th- and in football, this is super common. If In football, I contend that a lot of people that are brought in to, uh, to talk to teams about being coordinators or coaches, you're not going to hire them. What do you want? You want their ideas. Because that's the only way that, that you can essentially illegally steal. Yeah. Well, and
0: I mean, if if you're if you're a team with more budget, think about by you just sort of sitting back. Because let's say it was the Rays and and the A's that really, I mean, those are the teams that weren't going to be able to outspend. So you you can either try to do it the same way, or you can find unique, different ways to get mm-hmm. an edge. And so if you're one of the big spending teams, and this is what what has happened. You look at what they're doing and you say, oh, cool, Like we'll do all those same things with more money behind it. Right. And and that's sort of why it, it is encouraging if you're a Twins fan, and the Twins, contrary to some of our payroll debates in and around here, the Twins are never going to be a team that spends on the level with the top 10 markets in baseball. They're just not. They're not going to spend with the Phillies. They're not going to spend with the Yankees, the Red Sox, et cetera. So you want to see them on lists like the one that you brought up earlier, from Eno Saris on the Athletics website, you want to see them on lists that say, hey, they're thinking ahead of the curve here, and you can start to compare the way that they're structuring things to some of the smartest
3: teams in baseball. Because if they don't do that, they don't have an edge. I think there's only so much of an edge that you can even gain by putting more money behind these things. And I think that's why you're seeing teams like the Twins, like the Brewers, like the Rays, and and like the A's, and markets that... Could never really compete on a consistent basis in in past eras of baseball. You're seeing them able to year in, year out. I mean the Brewers were going on what, four or five years now? out of the last six that they've had pretty good baseball teams. The A's are pretty consistently good. The Rays are pretty consistently good. I think that money only does so much to separate the big market teams from the small market teams in baseball nowadays with analytics and that's that's I think that's a big part of why you see free agency the way that it is. Because we've well, not we. I I didn't come up with the algorithms. Yeah. They have come up with a better way of putting a value on these guys, and they're realizing that a guy eating up a quarter of your payroll usually doesn't add up to enough wins to justify yes.
0: it. It's also worth noting, too, the Twins have spent millions and millions of dollars behind the scenes the last three or four years on people that you've never heard of, on technology that you'll never get to see, and on things that, are, that, that go into raising the water level of the entire organization. And mm-hmm. so it, it might be to the point where if you have the option to spend and I'm sort of making these figures out, but if you have the option to spend $8 million on an Addison Reed or $8 million on five weirdo whiz kids behind the scenes and like a new minor league stadium technology to track all of your bullpen sessions or something, like mm -hmm. what's the better use of $8 million? Sorry, Addison Reed,
2: right? Yeah, absolutely. But the Twins are also, I think, going to at some point in time here also get people stolen from them as well. Because this... The, the game behind the game now is that, right? The game behind the game is trying to figure out what the smart progressive teams are doing because they're very good at being quiet about it, and you don't know. So if you are, I don't know, take your pick, the Red Sox or something, and you're like, okay, there's competitive advantages here that we just don't know about. Let's go to the Twins and pay a guy because— the one place, again, and th- this is especially true in salary cap leagues, but I think it also translates to baseball, the one place that I think teams are now willing to spend a lot is behind-the-scenes personnel. When is the last time the Twins had a prominent front office
0: stolen? Or coaching, uh, coach stolen or covenant? Prominent? prominent? Andy Mc- was Andy McPhail stolen? Yeah, by the Cubs. That was like 25 he, years he, ago, right? he,
2: No, he, yeah. He left during the 94 strike. No, Terry was his chief scout, I believe. But McPhail was, was hired away, I believe, by mm-hmm. the Cubs during the course of that strike. But I'm trying to think of was anybody from Terry's staff in the early 2000s stolen? I don't Oh, think so. you know what? Mike um, Radcliffe Wayne Krivesky. Krivski. Okay. I want to uh, say. Uh, Krivsky. Krivsky, I'm sorry. I want to say the Reds hired him as GM, possibly. They did. So he was with I the think, Twins and then. I think he was stolen, yes. Okay. Because it makes sense. So but, it's been like 18 years since the twins. Well, who did you stolen. who did you want like 10 years ago? <laughs> hey Terry, who's that assistant peanut v- vendor you've got at the <laughs>
3: Target Field? He just started. He's really good.
2: Hey, that beer man. Whoa, the beer man's awesome. Can we hire him away?
3: But I think that another thing that smaller market teams are picking up on is is the fact that you can keep a guy like Falvey and Levine by a giving him a better title and b. Look, I can spend another, I can add another two or three million dollars to my GM or, or president's contract instead of putting that into a roster, and I'm going to get far more bang for my buck. It's easier for a team, for a market like Minnesota let's say the Dodgers were to come calling for for Falvey or, or Levine, it's easier to get into a bidding war for, them, for one guy in your front office and keep him here and keep him happy than it is to get into a bidding war with teams and markets like that when it comes to players and trying to field a team of 25 guys and whatever else goes into an organization from from top to bottom. I think it's... You can keep those guys and it's probably harder to steal them now than it has been in past eras. Yeah. Uh the Score North Twin Show is
0: now 5 days a week as well between uh Royce on Baseball which you can find on Tuesdays, Glenn Perkins on Baseball on Thursdays, the Ensemble Score North Twin Show on Mondays and Wednesdays and Five Thoughts on Fridays, all available just search Score North Twins wherever you find your favorite podcast, Apple, Spotify, the Score North mobile app or scorenorth.com. Uh, we have a very juicy 3.0 mock draft to get to, and also the Vikings made uh, a pretty uh, interesting announcement about a longtime notable figure with their organization, Mackie and Judd with Rami on the all-new Score North, and the all-new 2019 Toyota RAV4. Is uh, becoming fastly is fastly even a word? Quickly, I guess, would be a more. I mean, quickly is more uh, apt. Yeah, um, well, just a better I'll look word. Up fastly for you. Fastly sounds like like a word that Trump would say or something. Fastly. Um, as fastly as can be. It's the greatest fastly there <laughs> it really is. is. Greatest car. Uh, Luther Brookdale Toyota has a bunch of 2019 Rav4s on the lot, and just I'm just going to go through some of the amazing features on the interior of what's becoming one of the most popular cars in the world. We're talking about a climate control system on the interior with dust and pollen filter. Ooh, I like dust that. Dust and pollen filter, yes. Uh, the heated seats are always a nice touch. The heated front seats where, uh, you know, it's you're, you're 50 below zero in the middle of February, and you really don't feel it because you're in one of these state-of-the-art vehicles. The N-tune system 3.0. With a touchscreen, an eight-inch touchscreen, and access to all kinds of different apps. I mean, you can book a dinner reservation on the app screen from your car. I wouldn't do that while you're driving. In fact, I don't even know if they allow it when you're driving. Either way, just don't do that. Fastly,
3: not a word. No need for fastly, because fast is both an adjective and an adverb. There it is. So it's just fast becoming. Right. It would have been. Yeah. Yeah,
0: The RAV4. Luther Brookdale, Toyota, 694, and Brooklyn Boulevard. Mackie and Jubb with Rami.